Well, good morning. It's great to see you. And again, just rejoice with the opportunity to be praying and, and singing praises to God together. If you have your Bibles, I ask you to turn over to Luke chapter 6. Luke chapter 6. Um, we'll be looking at a portion from Luke 6 today. <clears throat> it interests me that um, when you look back into history, there are these critical speeches. I mean, we, we hear this when you're going through political campaigns, doesn't it? Like the, the media will come on and say, now this speech is going to be a critical speech for this candidate. Then it's not really all that critical until the next week when he gives the next one. You know what I mean? The media hypes, hypes, hypes. But when you look down back historically, there were some very, very critical speeches given. And you think about some of the stuff that Churchill said with Britain. Martin Luther King. I mean, critical speeches. I would argue to you that when you come to Luke 6, this is a critical speech by Jesus Christ. In some sense today, I'm going to be preaching a sermon on a sermon. Does that make any sense? Because that's what you have here in Luke chapter 6. But let me show you just how kind of how critical it is. When you come to verse 12, Jesus spends the entire night... In prayer. Now, I'm a strong believer in prayer, but I have to tell you, I have never stayed up all night and prayed. I've tried to stay up a little while and pray, and I've always fallen asleep. But Jesus spends the entire night in prayer with his Father. Wouldn't you love to hear that prayer? Well, we have inklings of it as we read, but, but nonetheless. So verse 12, Jesus spends the entire time in prayer. The Bible says he then comes down from the mountain and on this level plain, before he gets to the level plain, he actually calls a multitude of disciples to himself and he chooses 12 out of them who we will call the apostles. And, and he articulates their names for us right here in this passage. So you have the apostles, you have this large number of disciples. Jesus comes down to a level plain. And look what the Bible says here in verse 17. He descends with them and stood on a level plain. And there was a great multitude of his disciples there, along with the twelve. And a great throng of people from all Judea and Jerusalem and the coastal region of Tyre and Sidon who had come both to hear him and to be healed of all their diseases. And those who were troubled with unclean spirits were being cured. And all the multitude were trying to touch him, for power was coming from him and healing them all. Now, folks, is that quite a scene? Think about it. They're in this, he's in this level area. There's people everywhere. He's got his 12 leaders. He's got his disciples. And just the throng of people, and everybody's trying to touch him. You know, if you're sick, you're thinking, man, if I could just touch him. And when, what happens when they touched him? They're being healed. I mean, so it's, it's, a, it's a really mag- unbelievable time. And in the midst of all that, Jesus is going to turn his gaze to his followers, to his disciples. Now, other people are going to hear, but this is a message primarily addressed to his disciples, to his followers. And what would he talk about? We're going to find out that he's going to talk about crucial relationships of disciples. 
Now, I was going to try to do this whole thing in one week, but I've given up on that. So we'll try it over two weeks. Um, now, I know you can read through this sermon in about three minutes, but it's pretty hard to preach through the whole thing in, in, in 30 or 40. So we'll, we'll break it up into two groups. And, and I want to I unpack his relationships because it's really, really important. And, and I want you to watch for something. For me, kind of wrestling through this again, there's these, as you're reading it, there's these two times in which you're going like, what? Kind of shockers. It's, it's not what you might expect. It starts right out with the way he actually introduces his sermon. Look at what he says here. Turning his gaze, verse 20, on his disciples, he began to say to them, Blessed are you who are poor. Verse 21. Blessed are you who are hungry now. Blessed are you who weep now. Blessed are you when men hate you. Does that sound like an oxymoron to you? So they're all gathered together. Jesus' great speech, great moment to talk. And he looks at them and he says, Hey, it's really fortunate to be poor, hungry, crying, and persecuted by people. Wow. Like, what's he thinking? You know what fascinates me in this passage? And perhaps even, because at the, at the end of the day, are you blessed merely because you're poor? I mean, is that what Jesus is saying in this passage? He is actually going to go on to say, woe to the rich. So is this, is this like uh, about you should be homeless? And uh, ha- is that the point? No, I would argue that what you have here, you might want to call these people the pious poor. And, and what happens in antiquity, we don't understand it quite as much in our country, fortunately, because we live in a really blessed country. But I was really interested, um, a couple weeks back, I was watching a documentary of believers in Bangladesh. And, and they were focusing on one particular group right outside of the city who had become Christians. And they were committed, vibrant Christians for Jesus Christ. But everybody else in the tribe who was either Hindu or Buddhist or Muslim had totally excluded them. They wouldn't give them jobs They wouldn't care for them. They would look for opportunities to oppress them. People hadn't been killed, but it had gotten pretty close. I would argue that when you come to a text like this, we should think more of the Bangladesh Christians than we do the American Christians. Because the reason they're poor and they're hungry and they're weeping is because they're persecuted. Because of the name of Christ. Let me read the text now in its fullness and then and try to give you some perspective. So, blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who hunger now, for you shall be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you shall laugh. Blessed are you when men hate you and ostracize you and cast insults at you and spurn your name as evil for the sake of Of the Son of God. Be glad in that day and leap for joy. For behold, your reward is great in heaven, for in the same way their fathers used to treat the prophets. You know what he says to the Bangladesh Christians? 
The Syrian Christians this past year in 2013, over 1,200 Christians were martyred for their faith in Syria. But you know what he also says to the American Christians? Now, we may not be poor in this way because of what's going on here, but we know at some level what it means to have a level of ostracism because of walking with Jesus. So our situation is not the same. But how could Jesus possibly look at people whose situations stink and say you're blessed? The word blessed is the word fortunate. Ever watched somebody on TV and said, man, I wish I could have that. I mean, what we're saying is they're fortunate, we're not. And God looks, Jesus looks at this group of people who are under it because they're followers of his. And he says, you're fortunate. How could that be, folks? It can only be because this text is all about people who know God, who one day, I can't make the promise in this life, but in the life to come, they will fully experience all of the richness and blessings and wonders of their Lord. See, that's what he's saying. He's saying, look, look, your situation looks terrible, but you are fortunate because you know God. And you are followers of his son. And although people may come after you and may say all kinds of things against you, may do all these kinds of things, you're a child of the king. So you're sitting here today and you're saying, Doug, my situation is very hard. And I, I, I don't question this, but I know this. If you are a follower of Christ, you are a fortunate man and woman. You are blessed at the end of the day because you are in relationship with God who one day in all of its fullness will reveal the riches you have in Jesus. You have them now, but you'll see it in its fullness one day. So he looks at this crowd and he says, you know, the most important relationship is the relationship you have with me. And you are blessed because you're a mine. Now, there's more people in the world. There's people whose situations look bad, but are fortunate. And there's people whose situations look good, but aren't fortunate. Right? Look at what he goes on to say. Verse 24. But woe to you who are rich. For you are receiving your comfort in full. Woe to you who are well fed now. For you shall be hungry. Woe to you who laugh now, for you shall mourn and weep. Does it make you think of the rich, uh, the, the rich man and Lazarus story a little bit when you read that? Yeah, I mean, can't you see it? You just like, yeah, I think that kind of gets played out in this parable that comes later. Yeah, you're right. You're exactly right. Verse 26. Woe to you when all men speak well of you, for in the same way their fathers used to treat the false prophets. So perhaps... There's some religious people sitting there hearing Jesus this day, Pharisees, who are doing things that are bringing glory to themselves and attention to themselves and money into their pocket and things are going pretty well and Jesus is saying, woe to you. That's no way to live. The way to live is in relationship with him and regardless of your situation, 
You are blessed because you have Him. And there's others, regardless of their situation, because they are far from God. It is woe to them. Woe is the word used all through the Old Testament by the prophets to say, judgment is coming because of who you are and what you're doing to God's people. Now think about it. He sets forth these two groups. He's talking to his disciples. What could Jesus say next? Could say a lot of things, right? He could say, aren't you glad that God is going to destroy them one day? Yes! Let's pray an imprecatory prayer. Right? Don't have anything to do with them. They're judged. They're hurting you. Stay away from them. Isolate. Could have said that. But he doesn't say either one. Look at what he says. You're talking about, I'm sitting there, I'm a disciple going, yeah, Lord, yeah, yeah. What? Look at what he says. But I say to you, who hear? My people who hear, my blessed people, this is what I say to you. Well, what, Lord? I want you to love your enemies. Say what? You mean that? Them? Yeah, and, and, and listen, listen, I mean, he, he's going to just pour it on eight different, so you can't miss it. I mean, he just waxes from every perspective, so when you get done, you're going like, okay, I think I'm getting this. Look at what he says. Love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. Is that easy? There is nothing about that that's natural. I mean, I read that, and every time I read it, I'm gulping with everyone. Like, what? Lord, don't you think it's good if I just, like, don't do anything negative back to them? (laughs) You know what I mean? I mean, that's pretty good, isn't it? All right, I didn't give them what they gave me. I'm not going to do evil to them back. Okay, Lord, you should really be impressed. And Jesus is saying, no, no, that's not enough. What I want you to do, and, and folks, I, 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 look, look, there's nothing about this text that I say you can crank it out on your own because you can't possibly crank it out on your own. It makes no sense humanly unless there's a God. This text is all about God doing something so deep-seated in our heart that we can move back toward people who are against us and say we are for you even when you are against us. So in my acts toward you, in my words toward you, even in my private prayer when nobody's listening or watching, I fall down to my knees and I pray for them. That's just not easy, folks. I think I may have told you the story before about the guy that contracted rabies after getting bitten from a dog. You ever hear that story? And, um, and this happened years ago. There was no antidote for it. They didn't know what they were going to do. And, and so doctor came into his room and said, look, pal, I got bad news for you, man. You know, uh, you got bit by that dog. 
you're not going to make it. And the guy slumped back. He didn't know what to do, didn't know what to say. He's troubled, distraught, the whole thing. Doctor walked by a little bit later. Man, the guy's writing like crazy, writing like crazy. And doctor was impressed. He goes in. He said, man, I just gave you the worst news imaginable. And you have the, 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 the stability of mind to actually be writing out a will. He said, doc, this ain't no will. This is a list of people I plan to bite before I die. <laughs> and I wonder, is there anybody you'd like to bite before you die? You know what I mean? I mean, people on our list that we're just saying, Lord, I know I should be praying for them, but I would much rather bite them than bless them in the name of Christ. It's the truth, isn't it? We all have a list. Sometimes the list is a family member. Sometimes it's a neighbor. Sometimes it's a co-worker. Could it be a mate? Could it be a parent? Could it be a child? Could it be a sibling? All the above. All the above. So I don't know who's on your list. I do know this. God wants to turn that into a prayer list in a way that only he can do, folks. So listen, as he goes on, and, and, and I want you to hear the motivations because we certainly need motivations because we're going through this list saying, God, help me. Look at verse 29. Whoever hits you on the cheek, offer him the other also. Are you kidding me? Now, look. This passage sometimes has been used against self-defense. It's not what it's talking about here at all. You know, this is, uh, this would be me walking into church today. Somebody walks up to me and says, hey, think binary, and just like a, yeah, nothing that, more of a, yeah, it doesn't hurt me physically. It hurts me deeply emotionally. You know, hey, think binary, slap across the face. My first response won't be good to say, oh, well, how about this one too? <laughs> I mean, is that your first feeling? I'm thinking some other things actually at that point, right? And you are too. And, and, and Jesus is just giving us these pictures to say, look, I want to do something so deep-seated in your heart that you're able to respond in a way that human beings just don't respond. Well, what else, Jesus? You're going through all this list. You might as well keep going, I guess. Whoever takes away your outer coat, do not withhold your shirt or your tunic from him either. Now, honestly, is there a level of hyperbole going on here? It must be because he's not suggesting that you should run around naked, okay? That's not the point. But what does it mean for somebody to do something to me? And my first inkling is, is to say, when you are against me, I am still for you in the name of Christ. That's the point. And he's coming up with these graphic pictures to kind of draw us in, to, to help us wrestle with this. Give to everyone who asks you of you, verse 30. Whoever takes away what is yours, do not demand it back. So when people do me wrong, I still want them to know I am for them and I'm not against them. And Jesus nails us with eight, illustrations one right after another you can't miss it by the time you get done here you're going like wow what would be on your list things that people have done that have hurt you and what would jesus say in response 
Jesus is going to go on to say, what I'm talking to you about, my disciples, my blessed disciples, my followers who are children of the king. Let me, let me tell you why you should do this. He's going to tell them, it's because you're more than just the lost people around you. Look at what, look what he says here. It's, it's interesting. He says, look, I want you to think about this. Um, verse verse uh, 32. I'm sorry, verse 31. Verse 31 is kind of like a summary statement. And just as you want people to treat you, treat them in the same way. In other words, in that moment when I'm thinking, I want to slap them back. I want to punch them back. I want to pray an imprecatory. I want to, I want to, want to, want to, want to, want to. Jesus says, okay, what I want you to do is, if you were them, What is it that would be best for them? That's what I want you to do. Okay, Lord, I was actually thinking about me in that moment, not them. Isn't that what happens? You hurt me. I'm thinking you hurt me. And so I'm going to get you. And Jesus is saying in that moment, I ultimately want you to think about me and secondarily them. It's, it's, <laughs> this is just like major role, role reversal stuff going on here. Okay, look at what he goes on to say. Look at the lost world around us. Verse 31. Verse 32. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. Tim and I have a very good friendship. I do something nice for Tim. It's nice for Tim. He's my friend. But Jesus would say, big whoop. <laughs> Honestly, he'd say, big whoop. Not whoop, but something like that. <laughs> Be, because because any, anybody out there on the street who knows nothing of the name of Christ tends to be nice to people who are nice to them. Right? I mean, that's, just, that's like how it works. If you do good to those who do good to you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. If you lend to those for whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners in order to receive back the same amount. Look, Jesus says, there's nothing unbelievable about that. My blessed people. The lost world does that. You are a different people because you know me. Okay, Lord, I need some more motivation. I know I'm not them. Help me. Okay, God says I'll give it to you. Look, verse 35. But love your enemies and do good and lend. Expect nothing in return and your reward will be great and you will be sons of the Most High for he himself is kind to ungrateful in evil men, the merciful, just as your father is merciful. You know, at the end of the day, you know why I should love them? Because they deserve it? No. Because it makes me feel good. Not particularly. Because God is my father. 
God is merciful. And he wants us as his children to be a chip off the old block. Doesn't he? And he says, you know, Doug, rather than looking at that person as somebody who has offended me and hurt me and done me wrong, all of which is true, none of which Jesus minimizes, does he? Because you know what he says to people like that? Woe to you. Don't think when Jesus talks about these things that he's saying, they've done terrible things, they're going to get away with it. Is that what he's saying? Oh, no. Are you kidding? These people stand under the judgment of God. They're people to be pitied who desperately need the mercy of God. So here you are over here, blessed of God, knowing God. And God says, you know what, Doug? Doug, before you knew me, I mercied you. You were evil. You, that was, we were all here. We were all here. And God mercies us and mercies us and mercies us. And some of us respond and we're now the blessed people of our Father. And He says, go back and do to them what I do to you and what I continue to do to them. Extend my mercy. But recognize this. That doesn't mean they're out of my judgment. They have to respond and repent too. But you, you can be a conduit through, my, through which my mercy comes back toward them. It's hard though, folks. You know, when I'm hurt by somebody, I think of me. I can't help it. Because desper- I desperately love myself. That's the truth. It's just the truth. It's true of all of us. And so I make decisions based on me. You hurt me. You deserve this. You, you, you know what I mean? And before I know it, here my hurt has moved me to the very center of my heart where it's all about, okay, now Doug, and what are we going to do about Doug? And he's been hurt and got to get back at that. God is saying, Doug, I love you. I am for you. You are mine. Let my beauty and my glory be at the core. That frees you to move back into a world of hurt and love. Knowing that if they reject the the, the gracious love of God, they will still stand under his justice. Justice is not removed in this passage, folks. We go because they desperately need something other than the justice of God. And if we don't tell them, that's all they're going to face. But we do it because what drives us at the core of our heart is God's beauty, God's glory, that he will be seen and known and experienced even with those that are against us. You know that guy at work. Oh, he's such a pain in the neck. Or that gal at work. She is, she drives you crazy. And she comes after you because you're a Christian. And you know it and she knows it. And she's trying to push your buttons all day long. Man, you're, you're just ready for an imprecatory prayer. And God says, my blessed people who have been mercied, been merciful. Do you see? I don't say it's easy. As a matter of fact, humanly, it's impossible. 
but supernaturally by his spirit. God can do it. And you know what? It blows people's minds because they have. we live in a tit-for-tat world. You do me good, I do you good. You do me evil, I do you evil. That's how we work. Bah, 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 bah. And there's this guy coming along and he's busting up all my categories. And he's just, like, he just keeps loving. And I'm thinking, like, what, it, what of it? I want to, like, what? He shouldn't be biting me. He's blessing me. Yeah. Not easy. Verse 37. I'm going to stop at verse 38. We'll finish with the next section next week. But this is kind of like a second round. And and, um, we were talking about this in Sunday school, I don't know, two, three weeks ago. I can't remember when. We were talking about the judgment theme. Remember when that was, Tim? The two weeks ago, three weeks ago. Anyway, in the last couple weeks, doesn't matter. Um, If I feel like people are getting coming at me and at me and at me, it's very easy for me to become um, prickly, judgmental, and negative. Isn't it? And it strikes me. So here's, the, here's an oppressed group who are blessed. They're facing this. We, we need to go back and love. But he wants to deal with, with kind of my attitude because I, I get kind of negative and prickly. And he says, look, 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 look. Do not judge and you will not be judged. Do not condemn and you will not be condemned. This doesn't mean we're not discerning about the world around us. That's not the point. It's an attitude. I can, I can look at people and I can say, yours is coming, pal. Tough. Right? But that is a judgmental, condemning spirit. Or I can say, you're in desperate straits and you, you need Jesus. That's very different. So to look at them and say, you know what? I hope they get fried. God, do whatever you want and kill them for all I care. God says, but that's not the way I am. I don't want you to have that spirit toward them. Rather, for those that come out and, 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 and repent and so forth, um, verse 38, give and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over. Then they will pour, they will pour into your, your lap. For by your standard of measure, it will be measured back to you. I missed the one on, oh, pardon and you will be pardoned. Yeah, but it's a spirit, isn't it? Can you see it? It means I look at people not as someone who has hurt me, but someone who desperately needs God. And so, rather than judging and condemning, I move back toward them, and, and some may say, Doug, I need Jesus. Will you forgive me? Will he forgive me? Yes, 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 of course. Pardon, right? That's the way it works. And what can I give to you? And God says, you know what I do? For my people who move back that way toward others, I don't have to give them anything. I'm God. They're already mine. Like, what else should there be, right? But I am so gracious and merciful. Doug, when you do that, you have me, you have my son, but I'm also going to reward you too. Even though I'm the one that empowers you to do it. Because I'm incredibly gracious. He says, look, 
Blessed people bless their enemies because of a blessed God. That's the point. And he says in this sermon, which we'll finish next week because we're out of time. Because next week, he also talks about our relationship with each other. Our relationship with outsiders and insiders. So well, next week, we'll kind of jump into that. Um, think about this. Go back and read this passage. And if I could throw two other passages at you. No, I could throw three at you. I'll just throw two. Read the end of Romans 12 from like verse 17 on. And read James chapter 5. Two other passages that talk to people who are blessed, but they just feel it's so hard. And he seeks to give them all kinds of motivation to move back differently to people who have hurt you. This is what else I would ask you to do. Has the Spirit of God put somebody on your list of people you'd like to bite before you die? Will you turn that list into a prayer request? And folks, if you're a typical congregation, I've never met a person who hasn't been hurt. It's just at different degrees. And I understand there's some horrendous hurt. And the beauty of the scripture is it never minimizes the offense. People will stand under the justice of God. That's the way it is. Whoa, 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 whoa. But God wants to do something merciful even to them. And he wants to use you in the process. Now, I know depending upon the circumstance and the situation, you have to handle that differently. I, I, look, I understand all the complications. But you can at least start praying. Will you let God in his word through his spirit Sweep over your soul again and again and take the passage back to him and cry before him and say, God, I can't do this. I don't want to do this. They deserve, do all that. Do all that with him. He can handle it. And then let him slowly change you and help you develop a strategy to move back toward people that don't deserve your love but desperately need it. If we could be of any help, we'd be happy to help you any way we can. There's plenty of brothers and sisters in Christ here that would love to hear your story. Share with us. Talk with us. Let us help. I know it's hard. It's complicated. It's messy. It's all that. But let God start you on the journey. Father,